turn our attention to the Word of God and see what we might learn about community and discipleship from John chapter 15. These are the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Not only have you spoken to us in your word, but you have done so that your joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to your word this morning that we might see and know the joy and love you have for us in Jesus Christ. We ask in his name, amen. Amen. Well, as I've mentioned, we are talking this morning about community and discipleship. And we'll take a close look into this passage and see what Christian community, what are some of the distinctives of Christian community. And I I think it's safe to say at the outset that we're not going to cover everything in this passage. I chose a little bit of a longer passage this morning, right? There's a lot of text there. And in fact, we could spend the rest of our lives parsing out what Jesus means by these wonderful things, how we abide in him, how we keep his commandments, how we love one another. These are major topics. So we're not going to cover everything. But we are going to see 
what Christian discipleship, what are some distinctives of Christian discipleship? And I think before we get to those details, it's helpful for us to step back and ask a little bit of a broader question of what is discipleship? Because I think that word, discipleship, in our circles, in Christian circles, can become a bit of a jargon word. And a jargon word is a word, right, that, that we throw around a lot. We use in so many contexts and spaces that we actually kind of forget what it means. Or it, it becomes a little fuzzy what it means. And so what you think of discipleship may be different than what somebody else thinks of discipleship. So it's helpful for us to start our time this morning by asking, well, what is, what is discipleship? And because it's a broad question, I think maybe it's helpful to, to say what the broadest answer that you can, you can give to that question. I think the broadest an even shortest definition of what is discipleship is that discipleship is just the process of becoming like Jesus, right? Discipleship is becoming like Jesus. And you see that in in Jesus' ministry, right? That early on in his earthly ministry, one of the first things that he does is he looks at his disciples. He says, come, follow me. And the people that follow him become his disciples. But they don't just follow him, right? It's not they're just walking after him, but Jesus actually invites them into a lifelong journey of following him and becoming like him. And so throughout the Gospels, you see that discipleship is tied to following Jesus and becoming like him. And so you've got Luke in chapter 9, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself up and take up his cross daily and follow me. So to be a disciple of Jesus, to come after Jesus, is to live a life that looks like the life Jesus lived, to deny himself, to take up his cross, and to follow him. And then in a different spot in Luke, Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so discipleship is the process of following Jesus and becoming like him. We also see the same truth in our passage today, but here in our passage in John, it's in more figurative language, right? Luke is kind of the doctor, and he's the one that really likes details and accuracy, and John is more of the poet, and so he remembered more of the poetic things Jesus says, and so in his description of discipleship, here he says, uh, John points out that Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and that's kind of the controlling metaphor for this whole passage, And it is in this metaphor, in the vine and branches, that we see Jesus saying that his followers grow in his likeness. Just like a branch grows off a vine, so Jesus' disciples grow in his likeness. And the process of growing into Jesus is growing into his fruit, producing fruit like him. And it's the process of becoming more like him. And it's that process since the very beginning, since he called his first disciples. And it's that process today, right? Our process of discipleship begins when Jesus says, come, follow me. And we respond. And now that may have happened for many of you a long, long time ago. I remember first hearing that call when I was about seven or eight years old. And so it can happen very young. Some of you may not even remember the first time that you heard Jesus say, come, follow you. But some of you, might be hearing that call anew or for the first time even today. But it's the same for us. Jesus is calling us to follow him and he's calling us to become his disciple and through that process to become more like him. 
And so perhaps the simplest, broadest answer to the question of what is discipleship is that discipleship is becoming like Jesus. And there's another broad brushstroke that's helpful here for us to consider. And it's not only what is discipleship, but really asking the question of what does discipleship broadly look like? And right, what we're doing is we're setting kind of the context to get into the more details. And so what does discipleship look like? Well, when we look at this passage and we look across the other gospels, we see one of the perhaps the most amazing, most beautiful truth of our faith is that the call to follow Jesus, the call to become like him, is something that Jesus does in you first. Notice verse 16 at the bottom, towards the bottom of our passage. Jesus says there explicitly, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And so we see from the outset, we do not choose Jesus. He chooses us. From the very beginning, God's work is what drives us. It is the work of God in us that drives this process of discipleship. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus uses the metaphor of vine and branches here, right? The branch can't produce fruit by itself. If you cut off a branch and and leave it by itself, it's not going to produce fruit. It's only through the vine, through the work of God in us, that the branch bears fruit. And likewise, our discipleship is produced first and foremost by God, and it is worked out in us. And so, with this foundation in place, we can kind of look more deeply at our passage and ask, well, if, if the process of discipleship is becoming like Jesus, and if it's a work that he does in us, what can we learn about what that work looks like in our lives? What does discipleship look like in our lives and in the church? And the answer to that question from this passage, I think, is that discipleship is a community that is intentional about loving Jesus and others. And if you're a note taker this morning, this is where we're spending our time. Discipleship is a community that is intentional about loving Jesus and others. Notice those three things. And actually, speaking of note taking, as a little side note, we used to have a habit here at Christ Church of asking our kids to post their notes. And I did that for the first time this morning. And I got some great notes from our children. So children, if you are taking notes, I would love to see them. Now, note-taking can look really different. I don't know about you guys, but for me, sometimes I look over and see my son and he's drawing a picture of a tractor or like a picture of a scuba diver. And I think, what is going on in his head? And this actually happened two weeks ago. In the middle of it, he looked up at me in the middle of the scuba diver picture and said a really profound thought that was connected to what Nate had just said. And so I don't care if it's a picture of a tank or uh, a trash truck, like, I would love to see your notes. Now, we have others, so we have some meaningful quotes, is what one, one child said. And, and Penny Van Nord, this is my favorite this morning, this is from Penny Van Nord. So, children, if you are taking notes this morning, there's a magnetic board in the back back here. If you pin your notes up on the board, I would absolutely love to see them. And... So if you are a note taker and you're wondering what to take notes on, there are three main points today. Discipleship is a community. Discipleship is intentional. And discipleship is about loving Jesus and others. So let's look at each of these. First, we'll see how discipleship is a community. 
Now, maybe you noticed, but in that big passage that we read this morning, all 17 verses, you might have noticed that the word community doesn't appear anywhere in that, right? We don't see the word community. So why am I starting here? Why would I say that discipleship is a community? Because when you go one step further and you look at what's going on in this passage, you actually see that it's a very relational passage. And in fact, it's so much so that every line of John 15 involves a relationship. So look at verse 1. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. So you see that the two, the father and the son, are working together in relationship. And then in verse 2, Jesus tells us that we, the people of God, are as branches, that Jesus is the vine and the father is pruning. And so the people of God are being tended in relationship with God the father and relationship with Jesus the son. In verse 3, we see that we are clean because Jesus has spoken to us. And that speaking happens in relationship, right? You can't speak to someone if there's no someone to speak to. Verse 4, he goes further and he says, abide in me and I in you. And so not only do we see two people there, but Jesus is discussing this process that's a relational process. Abide, remain, endure in me and I in you. And I could keep going. Thankfully, I won't. But I could keep going. Every single line of this passage, we see that there is a relationship. Whether that's between Jesus and us, or Jesus and the Father, or us and the Father, or us, the Father, and Jesus, or us and each other. Every part of this is relational. And so the process described here, the process of discipleship in John 15, can't happen outside of community. We simply can't do these things on our own. And I think while we all understand this one way or another, it's also a constant temptation for us to forget And I think we forget in part because of the particular time and culture that we live in. There are some people who would try to tell you that the true definition of self in our modern culture is an expressive individualism, right? Like that's what it means to be be a person, is to be an individual. I think it's also a, a temptation for us, you know, just it's inherent to our human pride. But we think at some level that we would be maybe better off either on our own or better off making decisions on our own or our life would somehow be easier if we didn't have to put up with the people around us. But the truth is, you and I can never experience what Jesus talks about in this passage by ourselves. We need community. And this is why, partly why you've heard us uh, from the pulpit here put so much emphasis on joining us in worship together on Sunday morning. And this is also partly why we've chosen to go through a series on community here, because we know that no one can grow in faith and discipleship on their own. We don't grow in discipleship merely by ourselves in front of a computer or by ourselves with our books. There are times and season for those things, and those tools have good use. But everything that we learn there ultimately has to be lived out in relationship and in community. And it's because God has made us this way. He's designed us this way. And it's not just that he's built us this way. He's built us this way intentionally because it's how he functions. Or said another way, the process of discipleship, the process of becoming like God is ultimately relational 
because our Trinitarian God himself is relational. And you see this more than once in our text. I've already pointed out in verse 1 that there's a relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father. Jesus being the true vine and God the Father being the vine dresser. But later he's more explicit in verse 9 and he tells us that that relationship of Father and Son is one of mutual and active love. And there Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The Father and Son share a loving relationship. And it's that relationship that sets the pattern, both for the Son to extend his love for us, but also it's the pattern for our love in our community together. We are called to an, a life of abiding in the love of our Trinitarian God. And so we see the process of discipleship is inherently relational. It's the process of living in community together. But it's not just any community, right? There are plenty of communities that aren't Christian communities. And so I think the next truth that we see here in this text is that discipleship is a community that is intentional. And that's our second point this morning, that discipleship is intentional. Now, this may be completely obvious to us, but I think it's helpful to realize that we are also prone to not be intentional. And that's not to say that you don't think about what you do. I think that you think about what you do, right? You're not wandering totally on autopilot for everything you do, although parents, you may think that some of your children might be doing that at some times. But we think about what we do. So what do I mean that we're prone to not be intentional? And what I mean by that is when you consider that that discipleship is a process of becoming like Jesus, of becoming like him, I think you and I often don't consider the many ways that we are formed in other ways. Remember, the whole goal is to become like Jesus, but our tendency here is to not notice the thousands of other influences that happen all around us that are trying to disciple us, to disciple us after their image. Now, this has looked different over different times and eras, but I think one of the clearest ways that this happens in our life today now is through our screens that we have. Screens in our lives have become nearly ubiquitous, in my own life as well. Uh, And I was reading some research on this, some statistics, and you guys may remember the Nielsen ratings. They used to do like TV, but that's, I don't know, that's not a thing that anybody talks about anymore. Well, now Nielsen apparently does media use. And they did a study where they, they did this massive survey and they found that the average American uses up, is in front of a screen for up to 10 hours a day. And then they said, you know, actually during COVID, it got more. So during, during COVID, it, it amped up to over 13 hours a day. And so many of us are in front of screens for hours and hours of our day and now, you may not spend that much time in front of a screen, but I think we are all prone to forget of what kind of influence that is bringing into our lives. And so you might resonate with one author who I read, and I resonated with him when he said this. Is he wrote, when I'm waiting in line to order my drink at a coffee shop, my automatic instinct is to grab my phone. Not to do anything, of course, but just simply to scroll aimlessly for the minute or two before it's my turn to order. And this, I think, marks how many of us go about our day, is that we, we fill up the vacancies of our days 
with our screens. And what we forget is that those things are trying to form us, every single one of them. There are many, many people who are paid a lot of money and are really good at using screens to form you after an image. They tell us what to think. They tell us what's good. They tell us what's desirable. They tell us what even will make us happy. They are, in effect, they're discipling us. And many of us, myself included, often let it happen with very little thought to what's going on. And I'm not just talking about social media. I mean, it is, right? it is the Instagram photo that's showing you the picture of the good life. But it's also, it's the Netflix series that wants to teach us what's right and wrong or wants to teach us what's beautiful and good. But it's also a lot more subtle ways. One that my wife pointed out to me earlier this week, and I think Amazon is perhaps the most subtle about this. When you're clicking through their, their shopping list and they say, hey, you know what, you'll also like. And what they're doing is they're forming you. They're telling you what you'll like, what you should like, what you want. They are forming you. They are trying to disciple you. And I think my point here is that you and I are often on autopilot and simply invite that influence into our lives without thought or consideration. And so what's the solution to that? What are we supposed to do? Well, I think first, our text tells us It tells us there are a few uh, solutions to this problem. But first and foundational for all that follows is that we see that Jesus Christ was intentional. Look at all the work that Jesus intentionally does on behalf of his disciples in this passage. In verse 3, we are clean because of the word that he has spoken. His word came first, right? In the beginning was the word. The process of discipleship then is grounded in the intentional word and work of Jesus Christ. You see other similar intentionality with his love in verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So Jesus is deliberate with his love. He strove and labored to love us. And again, you see it in verse 10, where Jesus calls us to keep his commandments and says, as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus was intentional. He kept his father's commandments. He abided in his father's love. And there are many, many ways, even more in this passage, that show that Jesus was intentional in following the commands of the father, in loving us, his people, and abiding in his father's love. And so the first answer to our proclivity to, to wander aimlessly or not consider how we're being formed is to look at Jesus and see that he, our Lord, was intentional. And then because he was intentional, that's when we see that he actually gives us the ability to follow him. He gives us the ability to be intentional ourselves. And so notice in verse 4, he tells us to abide in him as he is in us. And then again in verse 5, he is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so our intentionality only comes from the grace of Jesus Christ and it is an outflow of the ways that he's been intentional to us. Because of what he's done, he, we can now become like him. Because he's been intentional, he has given us the ability to be intentional. And that call... That call to intentionality, you see it repeated so often in this passage through a call to abide, right? In verse 4, Jesus tells us to abide in him. And you see that word again in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. In fact, that word abide occurs 11 times in these, 
in these short 17 verses. And Jesus is calling us to action. He's saying we can't coast on autopilot. It takes an effort. It takes intention. Now that intention and effort begins with him, but it's not an autopilot afterwards. We abide by remaining and enduring and persevering in Jesus' love. By following him, by becoming like him, and by participating in the ministry of his kingdom. And that metaphor of abiding is the picture of discipleship. And in this way, discipleship is intentional. And because discipleship is intentional and because this is part of the process, we at Christ Church, we want to think of ways that we can encourage each other to be intentional. And there are many ways that you all do this every day and every week. Many of you are very intentional about reading God's word about praying, about your intentional, about reaching out to each other. One of the ways that we were able to witness intentionality today is in one of the earlier services, the 10 o'clock service, we had a young man who was baptized. And he was listening to the Lord's call to follow him. And he stepped out saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But we also want to make sure that we're offering constant invitations to do this. And so that's why we've, we've uh, had many invitations over the last few weeks to join our, our, our community and join the work that we're doing here. You'll hear later from Nate about ways that you could serve on Sunday morning. And we we're, have we're uh, many ways that we can connect together this summer. And those connections and that service is because we want to be intentional with the way that we spend our time. We want to be intentional with our communities. And it's why we have discipleship groups here at Christ Church. Discipleship groups have been meeting this last semester. They're small groups of up to about five or six, and we do men's and women's discipleship group, and they are intentional about spending time in the Word together, spending time in prayer together. We're taking a break from discipleship groups for the summer, but maybe this is a good time to be thinking about what might it look like for me to be intentional with a discipleship group. And so when those start up again in the fall, maybe that's a good way for you to listen to the Lord and to follow him. But it's more than being intentional on Sunday morning. It's even more than than our social events this summer. It's more than our discipleship group. This this call is actually an all-encompassing call. And it leads us to our last point today. Because discipleship is a community that's not just intentional for intentionality's sake. But specifically, it's a community that's intentional about its love for Jesus and others. And so, as I've mentioned, time and again, Jesus calls us to abide in him. And to abide in Jesus is to be loved by him and to love him in return. And I think abiding in Jesus seems to be the summary of this process of discipleship here. It's the process of remaining in him of growing in him, the vine, and of producing fruit, or rather of him producing fruit in us. You see how Jesus explains it in verses 8 through 10. There he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And Once more, we see the beauty and wonder of the Christian gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ, that he is the one who works these things out in us. 
In verse 9, we love because God the Father has loved the Son. Then again in verse 10, Jesus is the one who kept his Father's commandments. He's the one who abides in his Father, and he allows us then to keep his commandments and abide in his love. And so discipleship then is not aimed only at love. It's not only aimed at love, but it's driven and fueled by the love that Jesus Christ has for you. And so Jesus has loved us and he has enabled us to love one another. And that's where you see the result of this abiding, the result of this discipleship, the result of keeping his commandments. In verse 12, having just told us that we glorify God by keeping his commandments, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So abiding in the love of Jesus is loving him and loving others. And on the one hand, this seems like such a simple call, right? If I were to tell my young kids, or I I could have told them at four or even younger, hey, love your sister or your brother. Love one another. On the one hand, a young child can understand that. We understand what it means to love one another. And yet, on the other hand, this is so profound because you and I will spend the rest of our lives really learning what it means to be loved by God and to love each other in return. And I think Jesus notices and tells us that this is, in fact, a difficult thing to do. Not only difficult, he tells us it's impossible because to love one another involves our own death. You see in verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There's nothing. Jesus is saying, there's no greater love. There's nothing that's harder to do than to lay down your life for his friends. And so our call to love is a call that involves our own death. It's a call that involves dying to our desires, dying to our selfishness, dying to what we would have in our own will apart from Christ. And in that way, ultimately, it's impossible. And because it's impossible, Jesus went before us. He did what we could not do. He lived the perfect life. He kept his Father's commands. He is the one who abided in his Father's love. He is the one who had done these things, and he demonstrated his perfect love for us, for you, by laying down his life for his friends. And he calls you friends. This is the path of discipleship. Not that we first loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself up for us. Would we receive his love this morning in joy and thanksgiving? And I pray that it would lead us further up and further into him, shaping us more and more into his image and doing so make us a community that is intentional about loving him and loving each other. It's only possible because of the work that he's done. Let's praise him this morning for that glorious work. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for going before us. God, you have called us to live a life that is not only marked by your love, but it's a life that's only possible because of what your love accomplished on our behalf. And so we pray that you would give us new eyes to see the wonder of the life that you lived and that through seeing that and knowing your love that we might experience the joy of knowing you and through your Holy Spirit 
that that joy would abound to those around us and propel us to love one another. Be glorified and us your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.